Are we good now? Okay. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the VR Download. Uh, this is a show that we broadcast live from the Upload Virtual Studios, and fans of the show will know that we have broken our uh, deliveries into two separate shows. So Monday's show is going to be all about hardware and general announcements in the industry, and then Thursday's show is going to be all about games, reviews, what we're playing, things like that, uh, different subjects there. And decide to watch both shows, I would imagine, is what you'd want to do. I want to say hello to everyone in the live YouTube chat, uh, where folks like Adam are telling people to wash their hands. Very good idea. Good reminder. Uh, I am joined today by someone who has been part of the show, but hasn't been on it yet. Heaney. Hello, Heaney. Hello, everyone. I'm David Heaney. I write about the technology behind VR, and normally I run the show from the background, but Harry and Ian aren't able to join us today, so rather than not do a show at all, I'm going to jump in. So we're not going to have any camera angle switches today, and we won't be able to switch the media, but we're going to still bring you the hardware news. Absolutely. So uh, instead of canceling a show when technical problems occur, we are just barreling through. All right. So uh, Heaney, are you ready to get into the news for the day? I think I am, Kyle. Excellent. All right. Well, let's start it off. So the first piece of news that we are going to talk about is uh, the Quest update, the Quest 2 update, actually, which adds, and what is this, version 23, I believe? 23, yep. Version yeah. 23. Although they version... skipped 22. They went straight from 21 to 23. Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder what 22 was. Probably didn't work. Uh, version 23 brings all sorts of fun stuff, such as 90 hertz. Ooh, uh, for native apps uh, that support it, and also for Link. That's the refresh rate of the screens. And uh, wait, screens is Quest 2? One is panel. One, one panel. single LCD panel. But with the is movable. I should know. Shame on me. So yeah, so you get that 90 hertz uh, much, much smoother. I know some people have some motion sickness problems. 90 hertz will definitely improve on that a bit. Uh, and then the other things that they are offering now uh, with this update is gifting, uh, meaning that this is something that people have been asking for for quite a while, is I have a game, I like this game, I'd like to buy it for you. And now you can actually do that, which is smart coming up to uh, the holiday season. And then the uh, one of the other things that they're adding is the Oculus Move Fitness Tracker. So you got to get your steps in. Uh, you can do that in vr now so uh i don't know Heaney, what, what do you what do you think about these updates so I, I was really excited about the ability to gift because it's one of those things the quest platform has needed since the inception and the oculus platform in general I, I tried it out and the only problem is it's not a gifting system in the same way as steam or other ones where you send it to an account or a friend instead how it works is you put in an email address and it kind of just generates a code and sends it to that person so it's a little bit rough, and, and you can tell it's it's early, but it, it's better than nothing. It is better than nothing. I feel like something like this would have been uh, a huge blessing with the Quest 1. Now that Quest 2 is out, and it's going to be much more mainstream. I, I feel like that's something that is uh, it's almost mandatory at this point. Yeah, if, if one of your friends picks up a Quest 2 over the Christmas, you want to be able to send them a multiplayer game that you're really into, and especially if they're not sure about that game, yeah, while the system is pretty rough, it's great to be able to gift to people. I've already sent a few of my friends gifts of multiplayer games to play, and they've really enjoyed the ones. So it's great to see on the platform. My mother and father purchased a Quest 2. 
And uh, they've had it for about a week now. They finally got it all set up. And that was the first question that they asked was, okay, now what? What do we do? What do we play together? Uh, my dad is an avid fisherman. I'm an avid fisherman. So maybe real fishing multiplayer would be a good gift for them. I wonder what, and we're going to have to look for measurements of this if Oculus chooses to share it, but I wonder what level of gifting will occur once people are on to this as a, as a feature. They really kind of need to push more into this aspect of your friend buys a headset and what next? Because you're right. What next? There's a lot of missed opportunities here. They could be offering discount codes for apps once you get a friend to buy a Quest 2. They could be offering, if you buy a multiplayer game and your friend buys a Quest 2, you both get it. It just feels like social in VR is so magical. When you're playing a multiplayer VR game, it feels so much like you're beside someone compared to playing on a monitor. And it's just a shame that Facebook, despite being the social media company, is still kind of stuck in this old console model of, well, you need to pay $30 for the multiplayer game, and then so does your friend, and so does each other friend. And gifting obviously helps that, but it's still, it feels like they're locking out VR's most magical sort of experience from, from what people are first starting on. Thinking about it from the perspective of other consoles that offer multiplayer experiences, because, I mean, it's a console. Whether you like it or not, this is a console. Uh, are there other, like, if I have a PlayStation or one of the 12 different Xbox models, can I purchase multiplayer setups? I mean, does any other console offer what you just described? Steam does. Steam often, there's a lot of multiplayer games on Steam where you'll find a, a two a two code or a four code for, for cheaper discounts, and I've used that a lot. But a lot of consoles and the traditional kind of mobile gaming have gone to free-to-play. And if you look at a game like like Population One, which which is a it's a fantastic game, but VR doesn't have the market size to allow free to play yet. Developers need to get an income off the game, which is where I really feel Facebook should be kind of coming in. Because imagine you could buy Population One and another of your friend got it. I mean, the the, the potential there is, is just really untapped, in my opinion. One of those games that could really drive a lot of folks to want to get their friends in on that game. Facebook doesn't really need to kind of worry about every penny right now. Their their focus is on growth. You know, they want to take VR to every few years. They want it to be running 10x realistically at this at this stage. And they 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 clearly know that it's social that is the power that does that. But it's they're just not leveraging it enough. But uh, it's good to see some form of gifting at least. It's funny to hear that Facebook isn't leveraging social enough. <laughs> To be honest, that's been the case for the entire of the Oculus kind of project so far. It, it's it's astonishing given what they have and given the talent that they have in terms of growing social apps into massive user bases, how little of it is seemingly being used on the Oculus front. Although mm-hmm. I guess Horizon, you, you kind of see some of their ideas coming in there. Yeah. Uh, so what about this uh, 90 hertz? I mean, do you think that we're going to see a lot of people going, oh, wow, this is amazing? Or do you think it'll just go unnoticed? It's one of those things where even if it goes unnoticed, you, your conscious may not notice it, but your subconscious certainly will. Refresh rate in VR is incredibly important. It's, it affects the latency. It affects the amount of eye strain you get. It affects uh, how, how some people feel sick. And if, you're, if you have a home environment in any of you, whatever VR platform you use, and there's a lot of lines around, such as the lines on this wall, try moving your head rapidly to, to the side and watch the lines. 
the higher the refresh rate, the more solid they're going to look. And that doesn't just apply to those lines. That applies to every shape that you're looking at. So if, you, if you've ever had the chance to try the valve index at 144 hertz, it is incredible. And as you keep going up in refresh rate, everything's going to feel smoother, going to feel more natural. And your brain is just going to accept the virtual world a bit more. So I really hope that every developer that can supports 90 hertz. And it's great to see it on Link 2 because PC content... You know, your PC, if you're a PC gamer, probably has the power to run 90 hertz. Whereas some native Quest 2 apps, I think we can all agree, there's just, they're not going to get 90 hertz, especially with, if, if with projects like Assassin's Creed, if, it, if it's as described in the reports so far, that thing's not going to be running at 90 hertz. But if you load in on V22 to Beat Saber, you'll notice it's smoother and you'll feel less sick over time. So it, it's, it's great to see. And we saw Carmack hint that potentially, 120 hertz may come in the future for, for the Quest 2 hardware. Yeah, you know, this whole thing of hertz, I mean, it's it's basically increasing the frame rate. And uh, when you're talking about a mobile headset, when you're talking about a mobile chip, pushing the frame rate higher isn't just something that is a hardware-dependent thing. The actual app or game itself needs to not struggle to deliver the content at that rate. So like you mentioned, the PC end of things with Link, I mean, 90 hertz, you're, you're definitely, well, I shouldn't say definitely. If you have a decent enough uh, computer with a decent enough GPU, you should be able to achieve 90 hertz very easily through Link. Um, another thing I'm reminded of is I have known people who have been much more sensitive to uh, Flickr. And so the uh, something is benign as you know the lighting in a building if it's fluorescent lighting i mean that that's flickering and some people can perceive that i'm lucky i i don't really perceive i've run vr games at 15 frames per second in the past and have not puked as a result but other people they can't even handle it at 60 frames per second so i i think it's really smart that they're pushing that uh, 120 hertz would just be phenomenal um i i believe is is that what uh, was said 120 hertz would be the closest to the human condition, the eye, or was it higher than that? So there's a lot of research, and the answer right now is kind of, it, it's unclear. It seems that the human perceptual system, like I said, that straight line example is the worst case. So there are experiments on military pilots where they seem to be able to notice the differences in straight lines up to like 500 or even a thousand hertz but one thing i would note is that in vr it's very different from regular monitor gaming because each frame is only flashed to the screen for a very very short amount of time and that's called low persistence and it's, it's key to all vr headsets but if you looked if you had a super super high frame rate camera or you could slow down the view from a quest or any vr headset it's actually black most of the time. The screen is black most of the time, only for about two milliseconds for each frame. And at 90 hertz, the entire frame lasts for 11 milliseconds. Only two milliseconds of that, the display is actually on. And that is why in VR, at 60 hertz, for example, you will see the flicker, because it's actually that flicker that you're noticing. Mo most people in Gear VR, yeah, as far as I'm aware, Gear VR is the lowest kind of consumer it's in refresh rate, because it was 60 hertz. And there were a, a good chunk of people, I think it was between 10 and 20% could physically see the flashing on the edge of the screen as mm -hmm. that happened. And that, that, that makes people incredibly uncomfortable. But apparently everyone can see that. And how it works is the percentage that can see it 
just steadily decreases as you increase the refresh rate. And I, I believe originally 90 hertz was chosen in 2016 for the for the Rift and Vive based on some of that research that showed that by 90 you're you're pretty much out of the uh, completely out of the woods for that. Although maybe there are a few percentage of people that need to go higher. But but as we start to get higher and higher in future into 120, 144, 200. It's just going to make you feel less sick. It's going to make the the world feel more solid, and it's going to make your eyes a lot less uncomfortable. So I'm, mm. I'm really happy to see this 90 hertz come on for Quest 2, and uh, we're trying to kind of put together a list of every app that supports it, and I'm, I'm working on a way to kind of open the app, measure its frame rate, and close it so we can do that sort of throughout the whole Quest store, but it's unclear if we'll be able to do that. But for now, again, I, I, I'm very glad to hear this because it's going to make people be able to use VR for longer and feel more comfortable in VR. And that's what matters. Yeah, I think, uh, so this is one of those situations where Oculus has unlocked the potential, but it's not a, it's not an automatic thing that every app is going to get. So the developers themselves need to allow this to occur. And I would imagine that most developers, as long as their performance is capable of handling it, uh, I think you're going to see most developers jump into that as they can. Um, can you think of any games or apps right now that uh, would definitely struggle to achieve that 90? So larger games like The Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners, I doubt we'll see that sort of game on 90. One, one thing I would point out is it's not 72 or 90. There actually is the option for 80. And uh, there is the option for 80 on Link as well. You can manually choose on Link your refresh rate between 72, 80, and 90. And I think 80 could offer a good balancing point for the games that are almost there, but not. And I've, I've tried it out in simulators like DCS, where uh, DCS is Digital Combat Simulator. It's on Steam. It's, but I've tried it at 80 because it seems to be a good balance. Because, you know, in that game, you're rendering an entire massive environment in a high-resolution cockpit on PC. But uh, I imagine we'll see a lot of devs go for the, the 80 hertz mid-ground. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, I, I know that we do increments of what is it? 24 whatever, because of the way that, you know, old film and human perception and at the time and all that. But I, I feel like we're getting to a point where people are just not going to notice the refresh rate anymore. And people who get sick in it are going to not get sick in it. I have, um, my dad, for example, he's always complaining. He's like, oh, it sets off my vertigo. Okay, well, what do we need to do to get him to be able to, to handle this? I mean, I put him in the, uh, the DK1 many, many moons ago. He got sick almost immediately. <laughs> but trying the... Uh, the CV1 and the OG Quest, uh, he spent a little bit more time, and I think that's very encouraging. Yeah, like I said, um, a few years ago, it, it was kind of figured out that 90 was the sweet spot where for the vast majority of the population, you get out of those kind of inherent issues. But but again, that's not to say that higher refresh rates won't be noticeable. It, it And it's just because you're in VR moving around that is so significant compared to on a monitor where... Um, I mean, I've tried monitor gaming at a high refresh rate. It it it's useful. It increases your response time. It feels a bit smoother, but it doesn't it doesn't fundamentally change what it is to experience the game, which it does in VR. For for in terms of thickness like that, there's so many other little factors that need to be just perfect. And again, this has been known for years by Valve, by Oculus in 2014, 2015, as they were you know building this industry. There's so much research had to be put into 
how this works. But one of the key things is to have the optical alignment perfect so that the lenses and your eyes are horizontally in the same place. And if that's not there, no matter how high the refresh rate is, no matter how good the tracking is, there's always going to be a little bit of misalignment that's going to make you sick. And that, that is the one disappointing thing about Quest 2 is that it only has three lens positions. So if you're in the middle of those or you're even slightly outside them, your experience isn't going to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty important to have that IPD set properly. Um, I spent several hours in a VR headset a while back uh, at the wrong IPD. And uh, after taking the headset off, I was having a hard time converging in real life. Uh, it's just as a result of focusing the wrong on the wrong IPD in VR. So, uh, you know, five, ten minutes later, I was fine. But there is a lot of value to having the IPD set correctly. Maybe Quest 3 will have, uh, you know, 12 different IPG adjustment slots. <laughs> so, so I was actually um, watching talk with the person who designed Quest 2's IPD system, and they said that the three adjustments are suitable for about 90% of people. So I did some napkin math. And I, I'm pretty sure with five positions, so, you know, with the current three being mm -hmm. the three and then two in between uh, on the sides, I'm pretty sure that would cover uh about 98 99 of people so so they could take that system and expand it but i imagine in the long term we'll either see lenses that are kind of very wide within a very wide sweet spot that you can just it doesn't really matter where you are and they can optically adjust it somehow or or just a mechanical system that can measure with eye tracking your ipd and push them into place but the problem is how do you ship that at a sensible cost that people can go out and buy for you know 299 and the likes and that's the problem that these companies are solving because yeah. what, what people need to realize about the future of VR hardware and these systems is that a lot of the technology that we're going to be in the next two, three, five, ten years already exists in the lab, but nobody knows how to mass produce it affordably. And that's what a lot of the hard work is right now. How do you get these sort of fancy lab technologies, figure out how to mass produce them, and stick them on a shelf? You know, I think a lot... That can be said for a lot of the technology that we're waiting for right now, is that, you know, uh, the reason AR glasses aren't coming out in the same uh, uh, iterations as VR is, is that some of this stuff, while it's perfectly achievable, like you said, in a lab, getting it to a mainstream consumer mass production type of scenario at an affordable cost that, that's where things, but I mean, it's happening. I mean, we can watch it over the course of the last five, six years. You can see how far we've come in VR. I, I think it's just a matter of time before some of this other technology uh, starts making its way into the mainstream hardware. I want to touch on the Oculus Move fitness tracker because I don't know a lot about this. Um, I, it, obviously, VR lends itself to a wide range of. Uh, physical experiences, I mean, even Beat Saber or, you know, uh, Supernatural or uh, Your Fit, things like that, they, they, they are supposed to be pushing you to exercise more. What is this tracker doing for us exactly? So it's very similar to what you would find in an Apple Watch or Google Fit or Samsung Fit or any of those other kind of bands you put around your arm. And all it's using is the accelerometer in the device. I, I believe in, uh, for Oculus Move, they're just using it in the touch controllers and your headset and trying to figure out how much movement is there. And based on the, the height and weight that you've input, what sort of calorie 
kind should that equate to? Uh, From what I've heard, it's not super accurate, but it's better than nothing. If you really want to track this properly, you're going to want to get one of the rest-mounted ones that also happens to have a heartbeat sensor, and they those main platforms will fuse that data with the accelerometer and figure out exactly. But if you want a rough idea of how much of how many calories you're burning playing all these VR games, or even if you just want to, it's almost a convenient way to just track how, how long you've played each game. Which you know, you know what I mean. There's no kind of convenient way in the UI to see that other than through move. But so I would I would say with a heavy caveat of this is an estimation, it, it works, but it's it's not the same as if you're getting a proper fitness tracker. At least yeah, not yet. Just, it may change in future updates. Just like the hand tracking and everything else that they've provided us over the course of these many iterations, uh, I think that move is not done evolving. I think this is just its first form. We haven't even seen its final form yet. So uh, we'll, we'll give it the opportunity to maybe, maybe the Oculus will come out with some sort of uh, secondary product or some accessory that they can sell that make it uh, more accurate. But I think it's a positive thing because, you know, how many of us have been told, go outside and play, don't stay in and do video games you're not you're just sitting there and just vegging out while you uh you know your muscles deteriorate we don't want to do that that's uh that's something that i think is pretty valuable you can see why they're doing this and exactly as you say vr has enormous potential fitness device today the headset you know it's 500 grams on your face and it's a big bulky box but in in a couple of years you know in five years it's going to be a lot slimmer and it's going to be a lot lighter and from there, you can you can deliver a fitness experience that is better than almost any other home fitness device when you consider the breadth and range of different scenarios that you can do it in. And even playing games already, like Supernatural or FitXR, you, you can see where it's going to go. But today, I, I, other than for enthusiasts, we need to be real. The headset is too big and too bulky to sweat for hours in. But it won't be soon. And you can see why they're kind of building towards a future where fitness is going to be a huge part of VR. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you are into fitness stuff, you definitely want to check out, uh, man, like maybe VR cover or something like that. Something that's washable, (laughs) something that's replaceable. Uh, definitely want to encourage everybody. If you are going to be sweating to the, to the VR, you're going to want some sort of protection there. But speaking about movement and locomotion, this is a good segue here. Next piece of news. Cat VR announced the Cat Loco S, uh, an updated model of their wearable locomotion system, which is available to order right now. The Loco system provides users with wearable tracking pucks that allow the bottom half of your body to be tracked and used as an input method. Now, when uh, Valve came out with their uh, pucks, uh, their their tracking pucks, their, oh, sorry, HTC, using Valve technology. Those pucks, man, those, I mean, I saw a whole bunch of them have those. A whole bunch of developers were all like, oh, I got the puck, I got the puck. And, and nobody really did a whole lot with them. I mean, can you think of any, techno- any any games or any apps that you saw that take full advantage of these pucks? So I, I'd say the reason that that's different to this situation is that those are kind of sixed off tracked pucks where they're cost $100. Each, and the value of them is that you can bring this kind of rich tracking into experience. And if you go into VR chat, you'll find someone right now that's ha- that has those pucks tracked to them and they're using it for body tracking. 
but it's completely cost impractical if we're being honest to get that stage you're talking you're at hundreds and hundreds of dollars of pucks that you have to individually strap onto yourself and recharge this catalog os is a more focused idea solves the same sort of problem that deca moves puck that they're shipping in their uh, in their headset next year solves where right now your avatar's positioning in terms of your actual torso is driven entirely by your head so if you're if your body is facing forward but you look to the left my entire avatar's body is turned to the left some some games have better ik where they can filter that out but overall you're always guessing and this becomes a problem when you're, thumb, when you're moving around with a thumbstick in games, because there's two main methods they use right now for locomotion. You either have it go in the direction of your head or in the direction of your controller. If it goes in the direction of your head, then you can never look in a different direction than you're moving. So if you want to run away this way from the enemies and you want to look back and check them, as you look back, you'll start going towards them because you're using the thumbstick. Mm-hmm. Now, onwards innovation, and I, it may not have been the first, but on, on, I, I'm sure there were many before, it, but is to use thumbstick and many games use this today this is standard today but is to use the thumbstick its actual position relative to the controller itself to move you so as long as you're pushing that way you can look behind but this introduces another problem what if you want to shoot behind you while you're looking while you're moving that way you can either pause the game when there's a bullet right beside your head and change to head based movement and you know use your head while you turn and shoot like that or you, you see how it becomes a mess very quickly. There's no good solution. Oh, yeah. So with these Catalog OS and the Deca Move Tracker, you have a puck on your torso. You can be in a game running this way while looking back and shooting, and you will be running that direction, and you can look back, you can aim back, you can shoot back, and it's all independent, just like in real life. You're not, you're not thinking, is my head going to pull me this way? Are my hands going to pull me this way? You just point your body in the direction you want to go, and that's it. And, and so I think from that perspective, these systems are going to be popular, but as you say, the question is, what sort of developer support is there going to be? And we just don't know yet, but as long as they make their SDK simple enough, I, I would hope that we'd see a lot of developers, at least on Steam VR, supporting this. So I'm reminded of a sentence that was said a thousand times back in the early days, input is hard. and Input for locomotion, I think, is even harder because of all the things that you just said. But also the fact that whenever you have a third-party piece of hardware, uh, I I, I can already see developers, I've, I've talked about this before, developers are cringing at the idea of another form of input because they have to support it. So like you said, if the SDK is easy, kind of just drag and drop into the project, then the developer doesn't have to do anything to tweak it. But, you know, if I want to be running this direction, but then shooting behind me and be looking over this way while I'm shooting, I mean, that's all stuff that's very difficult to do in the current form. But with a product like this, it might actually bring us closer to a more realistic locomotion. Yeah. So, so I, I think if, if we see this in, in with Cat and with Deca, it's I'd say we'll eventually see developer support. I think next year is probably the year if you look at these products coming out because we are at the point where there is enough a big enough VR gaming market, and that is an important enough issue in in sort of high end intense VR games. That I think there will be a market for it this time because you have to remember you're talking about you know the, the previous situation of the HTC pucks in 2018. 
you know, that's with a much smaller VR market. The VR market has grown significantly in the past two years. People don't realize every year the VR market gets bigger and bigger by, by quite a large amount. So as that happens, the viability of launching these kind of products and these kind of accessories sort of increases and increases. And I hope, I hope this is the decade where we can finally see sort of a healthy, thriving accessory market that doesn't just die off as happened in the kind of first wave of PC VR. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we will see it uh, finally coming to fruition uh, like the way that we want. So that's pretty cool, pretty solid. Let's move on to our final piece of news for the week. Looks like we're going to be talking about HP's Reverb G2, which is now arriving to people who place pre-orders. But if you place your pre-order in the United States right now, you're not going to get it until January. Uh, So Santa will not be dropping a G2 off under your Christmas tree uh, or your Festivus pole or whatever else possibly be. You're not getting it if you waited until right now to order. That kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two ways to look at this. The first is, it is great to see that level of demand for a PC-only headset. Some people are kind of expecting that Quest 2 will kill it off, but I think there's enough, you know, kill off the idea of dedicated PC headsets and that from now on we'll just see standalone headsets with PC as a mode. I think that'll happen eventually. Okay, good. Awesome, we're back. All right, thank crashed. you. Would you believe it? Uh, so you were talking about uh the problems with production of these headsets as being maybe a driver here yeah the the problem is how competitive can any of these headsets be in a market where quest after this christmas period quest 2 i imagine based on what we've seen so far is going to be pretty readily available you know you're going to be able to get it at retailers on amazon from the oculus website in all these different countries and you'll be able to order and get it in a few days and what I'm wondering, and I want to keep a very close eye on, is as we come into January, what what kind of shipping estimates are we going to see from HP? Because that really has, in a way, strangled the in- index's growth. Still today, the index is having, again, I have to be clear, there's the demand, and then there's the production. And how these interact, we can't directly see. So we can only really speculate. But over a long time, you can kind of get an idea. And there's a lot of people today that would love to buy an index, and they can't. Mm-hmm. That's, and, that's, and that's really bad for VR, that, and, and not just now, but that have wanted to for months in some countries, and their shipping delays go further and further and further. And I'm just hoping that the same thing doesn't happen to the reverb. I hope that it doesn't, but it's looking like it might. Because if you look in some of the countries that HP is launching in, they haven't even gone with the big retailers. There's some of these countries that they're launching in, and they've gone with pretty small retailers. And that makes me wonder... Is this just an exclusive partnership or is this something where realistically HP cannot pump these things out in any quantity of Quest 2, even if they wanted to? Quest 2 trades off, you know, some perfect lens adjustment for its single panel design. But mm-hmm. the one thing about the Quest 2 is it is a pretty easy to manufacture thing. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's an LCD yeah. panel, two lenses. And yes, you have the smartphone components, but that industry is so, so mature that the idea of building a Qualcomm processor into a mobile device is there are hundreds of thousands of people that have done that all day long for a decade. It's such a mature industry that that part's not a problem. But when you start to get to these new optical issues and you know how, how these lenses have to be designed so perfectly that we heard from HP that the lenses were changing even in the sort of few months before launch. And, and that's happened for, for lots of headsets. In fact, you have to wonder, 
can they produce this in the demand that's needed? And I just, I worry that the answer is no. Yeah, you know, the things that drive an industry are never logical, (laughs) in my opinion. When you look at like, for example, and I'm dating myself here, uh, beta, Max versus uh, VHS in you know any any platform or format wars. Uh, there's there's a lot to be said for the best isn't always going to win. The, the 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 superior technology isn't always going to win. I mean nobody's going to disagree that the index is a superior piece of hardware in terms of its physical offerings. The challenge here is that I can't get one, and I'm. 20 minutes down the road from Valve headquarters. I can't I can't get one if I wanted one. Uh, if the G2 ends up having a really good setup of display and lens, that's great. But I can't get one, at least not right now. So the challenge here is, will there be enough time? Because the life expectancy on these things, I don't know about you, but I would have expected Quest 2 to be another year out. I didn't expect Quest 2 so well, quickly. From everything I've heard, the reason the Quest Two exists much more because it's an easy to ma- easier to manufacture product mm-hmm. than because of any kind of you know Facebook's marketing is uh, we're ready to bring you the XR Two, so much more powerful, you know, ninety hertz, the nearly four K panel. Realistically, all that would have happened anyway. That's just the natural technological progress since Quest One was designed and launched to now. But why why do it this early? Quest One was sold out for most of the year. You have this mm-hmm. pandemic where people need remote you know, technology like VR more than ever. Demand starts to spike. But for this entire year, Quest One was almost never readily available. And it's, again, this hard-to-manufacture design with dual OLED panels, physical IPG adjustment for both the panel, for both the panel and the lens, which are merged together. And it's just... It doesn't matter how good the product is if you can't manufacture enough for people to buy it. I, I really would like yep. to see some competition to Quest 2 that focuses on manufacturability. And I, maybe maybe there are this year, it's going to be obviously incredibly hard to launch a product given everything that's happened in the supply chains. But Facebook's managed it with a very simple to manufacture design. And you do lose a few things there. You know what I mean? You don't get the fancy... Uh, uh, material textured on quest one and you don't get some of the more premium aspects and it's a little bit more creaky you can tell by physically picking it up that it's a it's a much simpler to build thing but look at how many they can produce and Mm -hmm. you know the proofs in the pudding yeah I, i think it's really important though that the quest 2 is readily available i mean i have not heard of any folks who have had a hard time getting one if they want one i know my parents walked into a best buy well not into the Best Buy, but they pulled up to the door at the Best Buy and tossed it in the trunk and they were good to go. There's something to be said for being available versus being the best. And maybe being the best means being available. I don't know. Uh, it's a subjective term, what the best is. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, if, if the G2 can become more readily available, I'm curious about the demand for a tethered PC VR experience versus what the Quest 2 ends up getting in terms of, you know, six to nine months worth of sales. Really curious. I I think there will still be a a market for it. The the, the audio in particular coming from the Valve Index, those same off-ear speakers, 
that's the fidelity of that is beyond anything that we've seen on an Oculus headset since CV1. And it's even beyond CV1, to be clear. You know, the Rift version one in 2016 uh, had physical headphones and, and people first looked at them and thought those looked cheap and terrible, but they were great. And I remember when the Valve Index was first announced, there were lots of people saying, oh, this thing has speakers on it. I don't want that. I don't want people to hear what I can hear. I want to use my own headphones. And then people tried it and they were like, wow, this is really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. So when you combine that with the fact that, you know, there's no Facebook, you can launch, you, you can play Reverb G2 and, and launch through Steam VR and through Windows Mixed Reality and never touch anything related to Facebook, which is important for a lot of VR enthusiasts at this stage. It is. It is. I, I know. Um, I'm wondering if one of the other social platforms would be uh, keen on having their login use like uh, a Twitter headset or, uh, I don't know, Reddit don't headset. What about a 4chan or a parlor headset? Oh, my gosh. Uh, do we have anything in the chat here? I know there's been a lot of really good conversation going back and forth. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, now would be the time to put them into the YouTube chat. Um, here's a question. When will the VR cover or other third-party facial interfaces become more available? I, I, I think as the demand increases, uh, the products will become more available. I mean, we even saw... I noticed. They, they just launched in Europe very recently, VR cover, and from some of the responses they were giving to their fans, they're work, again, they're at another stage where they're working as hard as they can to produce them as much as possible, but it's a very, very challenging sort of situation in terms of supply chain right now, even for seemingly simple products like that. Mm-hmm. But anything with fabric isn't simple. You know, people think it's simple, it isn't. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's complicated. So we'll see how that... Uh... How that pans out, because I have a feeling that there are going to be a lot more third-party products, especially after Christmas. I think once the sales come out and if uh, Facebook Oculus says, oh, hey, we sold a gajillion Quest 2s, I think there's going to be some companies that are going to go, oh, yeah, time to start making some products for it. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Here's a question. says, do you have any comments about the developer tools for VR? Have you noticed how hard it is to dev for emerson's asking that question um you know heaney you've built this creation this is yours uh using a lot of oculus uh enabled stuff in their in their development kit uh, how has your journey been developing using oculus available tools well i mean we only use the oculus avatars sdk in in here now uh everything else is unity c sharp what I would say about VR development is it's incredibly difficult because it doesn't have the decades of resources and frameworks and kind of solutions and figuring out that other types of development have. So if you're doing web development today, you're developing a website, it's, I don't want to say easy, but it's so mature that you can put together something fantastic with frameworks in an afternoon if you, if you want to, and, and you're very focused mm-hmm. on what you want to do. With VR, it's much more of a wild west. There are no, there are some frameworks, but there's no established generic framework. And even the frameworks that do exist are very kind of specific and entirely incompatible with each other. And the problem is, of course, the test, the iteration time. Every time you want to test a change, you have to put the headset back on. And if it's a change that is related to kind of anything to do with performance or Android on Quest, you have to recompile the entire program, you know, build the entire app again. 
wait for that, wait for it to transfer across the cable to your Quest and install and then test it. So that, that combined with the fact that we're still kind of using these tools like Unity and Unreal that are designed for building traditional games means that it, it is kind of difficult to develop for VR right now and it's not a smooth experience and it's something that it needs to improve. And I've really been shocked at the lack of any serious effort here from Facebook. I would say that the best framework right now is Microsoft's mixed reality toolkit known as MRTK. And that's mm-hmm. the same one they built for HoloLens and it now supports Oculus Quest. So it lets you build great VR interfaces of floating floating kind of uh, menus. It lets you have objects you can pick up with hand tracking. And it's there's just nothing comparable to that from Facebook. When you When you get the Oculus integration for Unity, you get a few samples that are mostly outdated from years ago mm-hmm. and the documentation is study and it's got stuff from that used to be from gear vr and it's it is a real mess right now i would say so yeah, yeah I, I, it, I, I, we have it. noticed how difficult it is <laughs> yeah. i'm optimistic there are there are companies working on frameworks and other development tools for, for this but what i'm most optimistic about and i think it'll happen in this decade is I've heard a few projects that are working on this in stealth mode, but a complete replacement for the kind of model of Unity that is built from the ground up, not as a game engine, but as a VR engine. So where every object is inherently an entity with physics and grabability built in, and where sound, you know, is just automatically based on the geometry. You know, you have all this is all these things are possible today. You have to piece together all these different tools and incompatible ideas. I think we're going to see in the next sort of five years something that is much more built for VR and AR that makes the development process so much easier. And I would say, if you want to look at kind of what this will look like, look at Apple's Reality Composer for augmented reality. It's a Mac program that allows you to build augmented reality experiences. And if you look at, and, and yet you can still put in very powerful interactions with it, with scripts uh, through their reality kit and AR kit, but the actual building experience is just clearly designed from the ground up from AR. And once you use something like that, you realize that all these tools that are built for building Nintendo Switch games and mobile games are just, there's just something fundamentally not compatible with how VR and AR games are really built and the sort of rigor that you need to build a great VR game. Because every, everyone wants to go into a VR game and have every object interactable. Why? And so what we're going to see, you know, they want to have every object interactable. They want it to be multiplayer by default. They want all these things that, Developers can do, but it takes years of hard, specific, targeted work of everyone reinventing the wheel over and over again, and some of them doing it a little bit worse than others. But we're going to see that kind of unified into a different type of engine in future. So I'm optimistic, but right now, I will be honest, on the grand scheme of things, VR and AR development is very early and very rough. You used the uh, the comparison of the Wild West. And, you know, I've been. Uh, doing my fair share of VR development from the very beginning. And uh, I have often heard that used as the description of this is the Wild West. And I'm reminded that the Wild West didn't stay wild. Uh, As more people moved in, technology advanced, uh, things became more civilized, things became uh, easier to... uh, uh, implement certain things standards were created and the wild west is now just the west and that's what we're hoping for and i I think you really hit the nail on the head there about that 
a lot of these like Unity is and Unity and Unreal are trying to become more uh, compatible with the concept of a spatial development ecosystem, but they don't have it just yet. A lot of it is just patches and little things. And some people are trying this, some people are trying that as, as it matures. And that's the thing. It's all about maturity. This is an industry that is maturing, but is not mature. And so we just have to have more time. You keep saying in this decade, you know, I used to think, oh, gosh, 10 years later, it better be. But it's not necessarily a guarantee. So we do need to give it time. What I would say is if Facebook doesn't do it, Apple will. If you Again, I would look, yeah. if, if anyone's a developer out there and you want to see what the future of spatial development looks like, it looks a lot more like Reality Composer than it does like Unity. And mm -hmm. combined with Reality Kit and AR Kit. And, and even another for a small amount of time, it's so powerful from such simple fundamentals. And you realize that that's all you need. You just need an engine that has all of the fundamentals baked in. And then from there, let developers build what they want to build without having to reinvent the wheel for everything. Imagine having a, an engine, a development engine, where you walk in and you just check a box, networking is enabled. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah, and I, I don't think unrealistic. If you, if you look what's happened in web development in the past 10 years, and mm -hmm. It's going to happen in VR development as well. Those same forces will apply. Yep. Yep. So if you're a developer out there and you're watching, first of all, thank you. But second of all, keep plugging away. Keep plugging because it's only going to get better and it's only going to get more uh, diverse in your options and your capabilities. So very, very good stuff. Uh, I think this was a pretty solid episode. And I think it was a lot of fun having you here today, Heaney. It's great to be on. Even if it was a last-minute improvised thing, I think we worked it out. If you'd think this was all planned out, how well it went. It's fantastic. <laughs> hey, so for those of you who are watching or listening on our podcast uh, channels of choice, go check out UploadVR.com. You probably already visit there quite frequently, but go check it out today if you haven't, because there's a lot of fun stuff coming down the pipeline and we are reporting on it as quickly as we can to get you all of the latest information. Uh, also, I want to encourage you all to check out YouTube and look at all the cool upload VR content. Our, our quality and quantity of content is increasing and I highly recommend that you go check that out. And uh, just as a teaser, this is nothing official yet, but ha have you gone to amazon.com and searched for upload VR because if you haven't, you might want to do that. I don't know what you'll find. You might find something on Amazon with upload VR on it. I, I don't know, but you might be one of the cool kids that uh, checks it out and realizes what's available. Check it out. Other than that, uh, hey, thanks for watching this on a regular basis. It's a wonderful show. We enjoyed doing it. We really enjoy sharing with you all the wonderful news as it comes out. Uh, any any final words here, Heaney? Nothing I can think of. No, I, th I think we've covered everything. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks to all of you in the... Oh, it looks like Gerald already found it. Cool, cool. All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching and or listening. We will see you in the future. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Woo. I'm always afraid I'm here by myself.